This is the Yob ConvoCast. One-on-one conversations with your other brother's authors, community members, supporters, and friends. What's up, friends, and welcome to the Yob ConvoCast, conversations that continue forever and ever with people in our beloved community. And today's exciting because we get to meet someone new. I say we because I've met this person numerous times, both in person and digitally many times. Um, But the first time on a Yob podcast production, I was so excited when he agreed to enter these hallowed gates. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These non-hallowed gates, actually. His name is Daniel. What's up, Daniel? Hey, Tom. How's it going? Good to have you. It's going so well. Like I said, I love it when the audience out there, the yobbers and the lurkers and the non-yobbers alike, all of the people listening right now, get to meet someone new in our community. You've been around, gosh, how long have you been in these parts? A couple of years. I think since 2020, like January. I might have listened to some podcasts before that, but like, okay, join officially. Like early 2020. So for sure. like a pre-COVID baby? Not quite I think a, so. a COVID baby. I don't think quite <laughs> a COVID baby. Yeah. I've I've been on listening to Yob since like late 2019 because a straight roommate suggested I listen to it when maybe I asked yeah. too much of them. <laughs> but um no, I'm in SoCal. I'm part of a, the SoCal crew, go SoCal. Mm. And um I've been living here for the last four years. I think this is year four. And um wow. yeah, grew up in the Midwest. And I am a teacher here and I am uh, in San Diego area. You know, do you use the term proper? Have you heard that term? I've gotten in trouble the last couple of times because like San Diego proper versus not proper. Have you heard of this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like not within San Diego city limits. I'm not within San Diego proper. Yes. Generally San Diego. Yeah. If you were to fly in and out of an airport, that's the most convenient to you. It would be San Diego. Mm Mm-hmm. That and Santa Ana, because Orange County's airport ah. is like smaller. Pro tip, look into Santa Ana if you're going to fly into SoCal. Yeah, that's a good tip. I don't think I've flown out of that one. I've flown out of Ontario. That's a different one, right? Mm, yeah, I don't even know. There's lots I've... of other random little airports. <laughs> and Maybe Long Beach, I've flown out of Long Beach as well. Oh. That's a great little SoCal airport. Um, hold on, but you glossed over a little detail there that I am curious to hear about. I'm sure our listeners are too. You said a straight roommate told you about our podcast mm-hmm. what yeah can you explain I, that of course when I left college so 2019 I graduated with my my teaching degree and I moved to South uh, Southern California for a job um, and I moved with one of my college friends and so we ended up rooming together getting, um, getting a house and living together for the last four years we were roommates um, and early on like you know he was one of the only people out here that I shared my sexuality with and um, either <laughs> either I pushed too many boundaries or uh, or I asked too many questions or whatever it was, but he decided to look into other resources and he found Yab. So most people, you know, could they go on that weird Googling train and discover it uh-huh. via the backdoor methods? But um, for me, it was um, a straight friend. It's like, hey, here's this. Stop asking me questions. No. <laughs> wow. You know, I wonder if there's anyone listening, anyone else in our community that was introduced to Yab via a straight friend. I can't imagine that is a long list, Daniel. That's pretty exclusive, mm. I think. There we go. Me being special. <laughs> Love it. 
You are not a four though, so that no. is not something that particularly appeals to you as a non-four. What is what is your Enneagram type? I know you're into that. Yeah, I do have an Enneagram crisis like every year. I'm currently having an oh. Enneagram crisis um, as to whether or not I'm an eight because I consider myself a social nine, but I have a strong eight wing. So mm. I just feel like I'm I'm more um I'm more more willing to have conflict than most of my nine friends. And the weird part about the social nine, right? They have more energy, so you look less like a nine. So anyways, I consider myself a social nine and I stick to that with a strong eight wing. Um, but who knows? But maybe you're actually an eight. Maybe a social eight. Which would be great. Because you don't have, have enough. Like no eights. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently Hashtag the make eights. Daniel an yeah. eight. No, make Daniel an eight. I don't want to lose all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Eights, eights are very like domineering types. They can maybe be a little... They can make the the sensitive boys in our community a little mm. off-putting. It can be yeah. an off-putting dynamic. So yeah, I, I get that. But um, but we're not here to talk about the Enneagram. You missed out on the Enneagram Convocast series last I summer. Did. You're a year too I late. <laughs> but maybe okay. maybe we'll revisit a Convocast series on Enneagram types again soon. It was received very well. We Today go. though, yeah, we're talking about. So here's something that happened because you and I we recently, as of this recording, we recently engaged in a virtual event mm-hmm. with our community called Flock. Because mm-hmm. we're a bunch of sparrow boys, it was um, flocking awesome. It was flocking awesome. It really was. So many, so many puns that you can use for for that wonderful little word. Um, and I was trying to remember what it even was. You and I were in a discussion group. So throughout the weekend, we kind of like it was group of palooza. We like grouped people up throughout the whole weekend, mixing and matching with all different discussions and topics and questions. And I just remember you and I talking about. I think it was just you and me. Wasn't it just you and me in this group? I think it was, I came early to, I think I came early to a, um, the, the offices, daily offices. And you and I were just chatting. Daily offices. I think it was before a daily office. Yeah. So this was just a spontaneous conversation. Possibly. I think so. Because the other thought would be we the talking... spiritual disciplines group. I don't think we talked about it there. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, anyway, we were talking about kind of like our idealized selves, right? You remember mm-hmm. this conversation about how we have this vision maybe of our potential of, of, yeah. of what we could be. Um, and I think that really is interesting jumping off point for a conversation on like body image and, mm-hmm. and discussing like our ideal selves out externally and perhaps somewhat internally as well. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought it would be a really cool conversation with you when when you were like down to kind of explore body image and um, this connection with our body, yeah. uh, I think is really a fun one to explore. Especially yeah. for a nine being in the body type, body triad. Is, and what's, what's having, yeah, the body triad and having no idea who we are, right? We're so confused on our, <laughs> so mm. at least for the nine, the eights, I'm sure are more confident, which is why I'm still holding to the nine. No, but um, the, the the song that comes to mind, like thinking about this idea of, of the ideal, it's it's Mulan, you know? Um, when will my reflection show? Uh, I, I love that movie growing up. And, it, you you know, the angsty songs of her, like wiping the, the makeup off and like looking at two faces. Mm. And I'm a Gemini. So, you know, <laughs> not that anyone cares about um, the Zodiac signs, but I always loved seeing that like, two faces that she saw in the mirror and she wondered when that reflection was going to meet her like image. So I think we brought that up when we were chatting. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super fascinating. I thought you were about to sing I'll make a man out of you for a moment, but that's maybe that's later. Also (laughs) iconic, but 
in my my four Enneagram crisis, I was like, but I'm more moody, and so it's the sad songs that resonate more with me. So that's a good one. No, I yeah. like I love that song too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Just ex- share with me a little bit of your story, sure. your little a little of your journey with with body image, because I certainly got a story to share too. But I want to hear your you first. You're the guest. Sure. I want to hear okay. your story. Yeah, I only read your book just this last year, and I was like, oh, there's some parallels mm-hmm. here. Even the dog story. I have a dog named Zoe that really? died. And okay, anyways, getting sidetracked. Spoilers. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I grew up in a small Christian, a big Christian family um, in the smaller town and in the Midwest. And um, I always felt really close knit with my siblings and with my family. Um, but growing up, I definitely felt different. I think uh, two years ago when we had flock or virtual retreat I had, we had talked about like how early how young were you when you knew you were gay and I think I even committed to saying like as early as five or six um but maybe not the language of gay but certainly felt like there was differences um and I think part of those differences showed up in a couple different ways like obviously I think you've talked about it before feeling separate or distinct from the other males or boys in your groups and then um and like feeling like you're lacking something or missing something. So there's definitely a a social dynamic, but then I think for me, it also showed up like physically. So in my family, we love to like categorize and learn and to put things into boxes. Um, And one of the boxes that we had access to, there was this wonderful book with a BMI chart. Um, I don't know if you've heard of those. Yep. Body mass, body mass index, whatever it means. Yeah. Who knows what that means or how you figure it out. But for my body, it always landed it like even as early as eight to 10 years old, which maybe you're not even supposed to do the BMI charts at that age. I was always overweight. So I felt like if there was like the social distance from peers, I also felt like the body distance from like my male peers and or um, maybe my siblings in that sense, because I was overweight and the rest were normal. It's great. They even use the word normal and overweight or obese. So um, but yeah, that led me to kind of um, disliking my body. Um, I, don't, I don't remember if I mentioned it to you, but like even growing up, there'd be times like standing in the mirror and holding my body in different ways. Maybe it's like holding my waist or uh-huh. holding my belly or whatever it was. And um, I, I I know that um, Preston Sprinkle has talked about this before, like connections between uh, body sort of distaste or dysmorphia and um, like maybe gender dysphoria. And for a while, I, I even wondered, looking at myself in the mirror, if, oh, if this body was female, maybe it'd be okay. So I, I know for me, like growing up, there was that like internal dialogue of this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, the the ideal maybe, like I, maybe I'm overweight or maybe my body isn't as masculine or muscular or um, athletic as everyone else. And I think in my mind, I was like, oh, something needs to change. Um, but I don't know, but I think that's a good enough backstory. What What's your connection with the ideal or with body image? Yeah, you know, we're kind of on opposite ends of the scale. <laughs> like, cause I, I was always so skinny and was very self-conscious about that. And growing up in a Christian school and I swear my class was like, cause I noticed like all the other classes and all the other makeup of the like the demographics of the boys like just assessing all the different grades for whatever reason my grade was like the uber athletic male Mm. grade and i was like how did i get here because like every boy plays football every boy plays basketball plays baseball those are the big three but like 
And then with that, so with that though, not not only those three sports throughout the year, but then also mm. like access to the weight room because they always use the weight room throughout the year. Yep. So they got so big and muscular and it was just such a contrast to me who was a runner, like Mr. Cardio. And I'm like a hundred pounds, like constantly, like I just was so lean, um, which again, pros and cons to, ever, to both sides of the scale of like where, where one person is, where the other person is. But, but I just remember throughout all adolescence, just, uh, and I had one semester of weight training, like just, just one in ninth mm. grade, I think it was. Um, and it was simultaneously super daunting, but there was like this rewarding aspect of it too, that I just was starting to figure out once I got acclimated, then the semester ended and then I couldn't use it anymore, basically. Um, and so for me, there was always just like this, that was definitely an external reason. There's plenty of internal reasons to feel like I'm not like all the other boys emotionally, mentally, whatever, but, but certainly physically, when I just looked at the rest of my class, like it was me and like three or four other like lame kids who didn't play any sports or, or who ran like, again, I give myself credit. I ran, but, Mm. um, but yeah, it was just like the, the comparison trap was so evident. And I just Mm -hmm. remember feeling so skinny, so invisible. Um, I mean, it was like physically invisible, emotionally invisible. I just felt so mm. separate from the other boys. And um, and yeah, so it's like this weird disconnect with my own um, with my own body. Because like if that's what a boy is, when I look around me and I don't see that in the mirror, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I talk about in my book about my struggle with acne as well. I think that was like another aspect of body image that I, if I looked in the mirror, I looked from the chin down and just it was just a hard it was a hard thing to to grow up that way i i similar to you i i am I, um, acne i had acne on my forehead for the longest time and so i would always wear my hair down to my eyebrows for as long as i could oh bang just to like yeah. To, yeah right to cover so i had the bieber swoosh for a while um but i was never going to switch that or cut my hair because it would show off my um acne but I, I think you the way your experience and my experience the, I was kind of pondering this after we talked I think like the two different reactions to the like the not ideal body because you said you kind of tried to get into the weight room and you kind of like learned how to make your body better or stronger or bigger right so you kind of acted and try to perfect it mm-hmm. um I think I ended up doing the, the the opposite where when I saw the difference from me and my peers I like kind of gave up because I saw I saw my um my overweightness and my body as like a limiter. So growing up, I played hockey and I I remember like even then feeling a little bit different, but I still, you know, went to the locker rooms, got changed. We played, we had practices, we played games. It was a normal part of life. But then when I had that sort of mental switch and realized maybe I was bigger than my peers, maybe I, I wasn't as athletic, you know, just based off of body shape. Then I stopped doing those things because I thought it was a limiter for me. I kind of just gave up on trying to make my body fit the ideal. So like, you know, that idea of trying to perfect it, make it better, or just like give up on it. I feel like those are two patterns that I often see with like the whole ideal image or perfecting the body or yeah, trying to meet something that seems unattainable. How have you, so how have you handled that beyond our, our lovely formative schooling years? Cause, cause I know for me, like beyond, yeah, getting beyond high school and then beyond, even probably beyond college. Like I started to like, I joined gyms, various gyms. And mm-hmm. sometimes I would be in seasons of, you know, giving it a really solid effort and going consistently. And then I just wouldn't, um, and I, there's constant jokes on the podcast about joining CrossFit and I did CrossFit for <laughs> a year or so. And, and now I'm currently in another gym and I'm going pretty regularly and feeling really good about like doing something. Cause there's something gratifying, I guess, about like 
mm. taking my body and getting stronger and yeah. um, moving towards some ideal. Like I, I don't want to, I have no aspirations of being like some gigantic muscle man person. Like that doesn't appeal to me at all. I just mm. want to like look healthy. I just want to look healthy, look masculine and feel good in my skin. And I just don't, you know, I just want to do whatever is in with, within reasonable, um, within reasonable bounds of, of that. Like I'm not going to go crazy with, with, uh, with the workouts or with the diet plans or, or whatever, but you know, I just want to be healthy and feel good in my skin. And I think I'm getting there. Um, yeah. but I'm curious now yeah, as, as an adult yourself, like how do you approach your body? Yeah. I feel like the healthiest I ever was, was like my senior year in high school. Cause during that senior year, I would say this was after sort of coming to Christ moment, maybe like I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I, I tell people it was like Jesus themed, but not Jesus filled. So I feel like post junior year, I kind of had a, um, maybe a, a revelation of what it means to experience grace. Um, and part of that was like a grace I experienced in my body, a, a grace of like, Oh, you are, you know, even yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I think there's some sort of connection there. And I, I, I felt it not just for me as a person, but like for my sexuality, for my body and other things. And um, that summer was a summer I signed up to actually just, uh, I took a PE credit on like throughout the summer. So I just kept a log and what I ended up doing was just like walking two miles every day. And usually I watch Netflix while doing it, but um, two miles a day <laughs> through a whole summer, I think I dropped like 20 pounds. And um, I also cut my hair that summer. I, you know, glow ups, right. That was my, my, my transformation. The summer I became pretty. I think that's a book right now. Right. <laughs> I think some, Maybe. some of my students read it. So I think I've seen that somewhere. Um, but then currently, I think we also talked about this at flop. Um, the spiritual disciplines of fasting. I think when I'm not actively pursuing taking care of my body and like, you know, giving it, it's stewarding it well, I'll just use that word. Um, then usually I kind of flip flop between this sort of, uh, mm, flip flop between not caring for it and then like gluttony and sort of flip flopping between, yeah, oh, I'll just like, sharing that. yeah, I'll drive my body and exhaust it. And then I'll, I'll eat as much as I want, or I'll, I'll not eat any food. And then I'll gorge myself on as much food as I, I can fit in my body. It's <laughs> mm. so not necessarily helpful uh, or healthy, but um, I think there's, there's some level of when I'm staying active, when I'm doing stuff. Um, yeah. It's finding reasons to hang out with friends, you know, playing, I play volleyball on Sundays, sometimes with friends um, I'm always willing and able to help or go on a, go on a hike or help with moving or, um, you know, find things to use my body for, give it a purpose beyond just exercise, um, which I fully support those who exercise. I just, I, I don't have this, the self, the self, um, initiative to just go to the gym, yeah. self-discipline. Uh, yeah. Not for me. Well, yeah, but, I need, yeah, I'm not one of those pers people because I, I used to go to the gym like years ago where I would just go to the gym and then like spy on the other people doing the machines and the workouts and try to like copy them mm. later so I don't look like an idiot, you know, because nobody yeah. taught me. Um, and that worked for a little while, but I found myself just exhausted with the constant need to figure out what am I even doing here today? Like, am I doing mm. cardio? Am I doing upper body? Am I doing lower body? Like that to me, like maybe some people are listening and like, Tom, it's not that big a deal. Just like, yeah 
find five workouts and cycle through them or, or whatever. But <laughs> for whatever reason, that was very mentally exhausting to me. And so that's where like CrossFit and this gym that I have right now, which is very CrossFit-y, it's a circuit workout gym. And so someone comes up with the workout for you and there are other people there doing it. So there's kind of this mm. communal aspect to it, um, which I enjoy. It's not just like a lone ranger going into the gym and trying to figure it out. Like there's, there's a plan, you're in and out in 35 minutes and bada bing, bada boom. And it's so that to me, I thrive on, on that structure. And so, um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe people listening out there also resonate with that because I, I, I struggle with that self-discipline too. Like I'm kind of right there with you as far as like, if I just have to come up with a workout plan or something, that's, that's, that's something that for whatever reason, I don't have the stamina to commit to. <laughs> I think it's the eight wing in me. That's just presumes that, um, like 300 years ago, people didn't have workout plans. They just lived life and they, they used their yeah, body they for normal things. Yeah, yeah, they worked in the field. Yeah, worked in the field. I was even listening to a, yeah. a podcast today and um, they were talking about like going to a spa where they did hot, cold treatments, you know, and it's kind of like just testing the body between going in hot and then cold, like these extremes. And I'm like, mm. you're just stressing the body as a spa treatment. Just go outside and work in the heat and then go inside, to AC, you know. <laughs> but that's the internal eight, I guess. Um, you don't have to go to the gym and get exercise. You can just work normally. Just, work. just, work, just work. Yeah. Just work hard. You know, as we as we pivot this conversation down, you know, something that I forgot to do at the start of our conversation was I saw. flip the hourglass. <laughs> you know, there's an imaginary, there's an hourglass behind me. You just have to imagine now that the sand is halfway out. So if mm. you can imagine that we're about right here at this moment. Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit because you know, we've been talking about our bodies and talking about how we feel about our bodies. I'm curious about the relationship between your body and your sexuality and maybe mm. what that's looked like through the years. Um, mm. Whenever you've had a positive or a less than positive sense of body image, like has yeah. there been a correlation with how you also view your sexuality as well? Yeah, I, I think that I mentioned part of it there in the beginning, this idea that when I was younger, for me, the sort of hatred or the the dissonance I saw with my body and then the ideal I had created for masculinity, at least like for the, my male peers, I, there was a presumption. And I was talking with another friend about this, like even probably my desires played into this. There was a presumption that like a female body would both fit my, my difference from the, my male peers bodies and also would fit like the difference in desires I seem to have. Um, and I, I, we were talking and I don't think that's the same as like uh, someone who's truly transgender and experience, you know, experiencing like um, truly uncomfortable or body dysmorphia in terms of their gender or gender dysphoria. But um, I definitely saw that there was sort of parallels of self-hatred and, and that influence being influenced by my, um, my sexuality and my body together, sort of like that those mm -hmm. just internalized on, I am bad. Um, that the ways in which I disliked my body and, or my sexuality was different than the ideal just became, I am bad. Um, and I think both of those led to me sort of disconnecting and pushing away from people, which maybe heightened the, like, I think you said, like the things, the feelings of separateness and, or the, the feelings of not being like other people growing up or not belonging. Um, I, but then growing up in college, after the, my sort of experience of what it means to experience grace um, and to be known by God and loved by God, no matter what state we're in, um, I realized that my body and my desires could have good purpose. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, this idea that 
even if our bodies don't reflect or don't look like the ideal, um, that there is a reality that maybe we are still part of the like ideal kingdom because uh, Christ, it, right. When Christ saves us, he makes us part of the body. And so even though our, our bodies aren't perfected, we are part of the perfect body. Right. And so in that sense, my desires where I was, who I was um, became good and valuable and a necessary part of the body. And I think freshman year in college was when I, I heard that voice most clearly through Wesley Hill and like spiritual friendship, the way he gave me a, I got telos for my desires, my sexuality. Um, and suddenly I could see the body is good. Like the ways in which I wanted to um, connect with people, the ways in which my body gave me the abilities to sing, to play instruments, to move, to mm. um, engage in a lot of different ways. Uh, suddenly I saw that my attract my attractions actually reinforced that. So even though they seemed unideal, the way I had perceived it, in the broader concept of the ideal body, Christ's body, it was like perfect for accomplishing that kingdom building, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense or if you followed that that connection. So I'll let yeah. you respond. That's a beautiful thought, the the image of Christ's body. And, you know, we've all heard that metaphor of like the the pink, we need the pinky finger and we need the appendix and we need the heart and we need the eyelashes. You know, we need all these piece, pieces mm-hmm. of the body. Um, and it's really been, yeah, I mean, honestly, since you mentioned my book and then certainly the formation of this community, like I think in the last 10 years, eight years, like, um, recognizing that despite all of my flaws or seeming flaws and, or ways that I don't cookie cutter fit into, uh, traditional masculinity or certainly masculinity within Christianity sometimes, um, recognizing that, that I have definitely contributed and, people have gone out of their way to tell me that this isn't me having a a big head or anything. Like it's just (laughs) recognizing that God has used me as I've like come to grips with the fact that I feel worthless or I feel like Mm. I have nothing to offer. And it's like in that nothingness or in that less than idealness, like Mm -hmm. God is doing something in my life and certainly in our lives and this community's lives and being able to connect so many people all around Mm. the world. Like it's just been a beautiful, it's been a beautiful thing. And I hope, I hope anyone listening, if you like, you look at your physical body or if you look at your talents or your personalities and you feel like there's nothing there, or you feel like, Mm -hmm. like, what do I have? Like, I don't know, this probably sounds so cliche or corny or something, but you do have something. It's like, Mm. I I just know it. I, I, I don't say that um superfluously like i say that with complete confidence that everyone listening everyone out there everyone created has a purpose and has something to offer and and for some of us it's a journey it's a journey to like recognize you know all of those all of those gifts that god has has instilled within us but um but i know it's like man i feel like you and i for similar reasons like it we were dealt our hands we were dealt our bodies and dealt our social situations or the people that were around us and and sometimes growing up, figuring out your body, that's a big first step <laughs> to, to figuring mm-hmm. out all the rest of you as well. For sure. And then I think going back to sexuality, I remember, like, it's so crazy to me now. Like, I have such a clear head now about about who I am. I mean, I'm still learning who I am. I haven't figured it all out. But, but it's so crazy for me. I don't know if you feel this way too, but like looking back on middle school Tom, on that ninth grader Tom, who was trying to figure out the gym for his one semester, like somebody who didn't like his body at all, like literally refused to look at it in the mirror. Um, 
is such a parallel to the sexuality piece to where that mm. was also something I refused to look at. I didn't even, yep. I journaled my whole life. I journaled since I was seven years old. I kept all these journals. I had like stacks and stacks of journals and like not a word about sexuality, not a word about like, oh, like I have these yep. feelings toward men, even though I was thinking about boys all the time throughout middle school and, and high school. Um, and it's just so crazy to me that it's like such a parallel that that my desire to not look at my body or appreciate my body mm-hmm. was exactly like not wanting to look at my sexuality. Like, does that sound familiar to you at all? Oh, no, absolutely. I was even going to say, I was just talking with some other yabbers about this. Um, just the idea that the way in which we looked at our bodies originally. So that self-hatred, like not wanting to look in the mirror, not wanting to see it as good or beautiful. I think that feeds right into all the feelings of, um, you know, when we first get those tingles of attraction and or uh, if someone looks at us with those, hold on. I like how you moved your fingers when you said that. Tingles. <laughs> the tingles, <laughs> as he yeah, wiggles yeah. his fingers. Yeah. yeah, the tingles of attraction. And, and so often they come around people that that see our bodies with those those eyes of desire, right? And that we could never see ourselves mm-hmm. with. Um, that definitely has fed into my sexuality in terms of when when I feel the most um, connected is like the realization of like, Oh, people see me as good and beautiful. Like people see my Mm -hmm. body as good and beautiful. Um, and especially as I've been like meandering my way through side B theology and wondering like, how does sexuality and attraction fall into this like sphere of there can be goodness there, or there can be grace there. Um, I think there was some Pope who wrote a paper on experiencing grace in the body. And I think like this idea that when people can see the beauty in our bodies and the beauty in us, there is some level of grace that we experience for ourselves because we had so often put our own bodies down, right? Or at least in your mind situation, maybe that's not for everyone. But I know for me, was that Pope? Was that John Paul II? Theology I think so. Yeah, or I've heard about paper. that for so long. Yeah, I've heard about that thing for so long. People have always recommended. It, and I have yet to. It's read so it. good. It's so Some, good. Someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to like the experiencing grace in the body and just such a good idea. Be, like. Because I think conceptually we know about grace, but we've never known what it feels like for the body, you know? Um, and what a w- weird place to be that we're in a society that's so driven by bodily feelings and images and sensations, but we don't know what grace is for the body. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, part of it has been like, oh, someone sees me with desire. Someone sees me with um, um, appreciation, whether that's uh, intellectual or a romantic or physical or whatever else, like just that concept is it's um, in dissonance with how I always view myself. And, and even realizing that that could be a way in which God looks at me like that is supremely graceful. It gives me a sense of grace. It gives me a sense of, um, uh, healing even, you know, so it feeds into my experience of sexuality for sure. Um, and, and it wonders, you know, makes me wonder how to steward that. Cause, um, yeah, sin mars our self-perception pretty quickly. So <laughs> Yeah. Man, yeah, no, I resonate so strongly with just uh I mean, honestly, it was like through develop all of the relationships that form the foundation for what your other brothers would be mm-hmm. and people like wanting to be friends with me. Male like yeah. other men. Like I had female friends pretty easily growing up, mm. but like having male friends like want to pursue friendship with me was so foreign like to be a 19 20 21 22 year old and to have like men wanting to pursue me like that was very strange because the the format the the default was 
like, oh, he's just irrelevant. Like he's the smart kid and he, he gets all the good grades and I'm going to cheat off of him or whatever. You know, he's, he's mm. useful for that. But like, other than that, like he's not, he's like essentially not worth connecting or talking to or getting to know. And, um, and that's still like, it's, it's crazy how, you know, I'm 36 years old now. And like, that still feels like a lot of the default. I think the default's been eroded a lot over the years, certainly, but there is mm. still just like that go-to sense like oh i'm oh yeah i'm the invisible guy like i'm 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 smart i know like you know i i know how to do things i know how to think things through and but like i otherwise like i'm just basically invisible because of that so it's it's been a journey of uh of overcoming that i would say for sure i resonate with that that feeling of disconnection and i will say as a nine not as a four because one of my enneagram crises was not was a belief i might be a four um but that feeling of belonging the feeling of of knowingness like those are all good and necessary things. And when you, you've never experienced it in your body, it's hard to believe that um, you can know it. I think that like that disconnect. And I think that goes back to like the ideal image too. Like you can know an ideal. Um, and if you don't meet that, there's such a feeling of isolation or being pulled apart. But that's I, for me, realizing that I'm part of the ideal. It's just a collective ideal. Like I'm a piece of that. And Christ brings me into that. I think that's been like the mm-hmm. most satisfying the most comforting maybe yeah all probably the most comforting that is a great thought because i was going to be like my last question to you to wrap up our conversation was like so like if we're never in the ideal then how do we survive because i (laughs) i i'm working through a lot right now like i don't know if this is going to turn into a book or or a Mm. blog series or what it's but i've been i've been thinking a lot about just like living in the tension of of like not arriving yet Mm -hmm. you know and i don't that can that can certainly be an, from an eternal perspective of not being in heaven yet. Like there's there's sure. certainly the the feeling of we're certainly living in a fallen world. I feel it more and more every day. Mm-hmm. But like even beyond e- like eternity's scope, like surely within my span, if I'm blessed to live eighty three years, like why am I why do I still feel nowhere near like nowhere <laughs> near where I want to be? Like there's geographically and emotionally and relationally <laughs> mm-hmm. like there i just feel like all the boxes i want checked in my life they there's like nothing i'm 36 mm. i've gone 36 years i'm like almost halfway there if i live a normal mm. span and i feel like i've checked no boxes and i'm just curious with you like maybe that maybe that's how you survive in this world as you zoom out more to the ideal to the collective ideal i really like how you how you phrase that mm. um but like I guess just focusing, focusing on your body ideal or, um, since that was kind of the big part of our conversation, but you could take that wherever you want. Like, um, is that really what it comes down to is just focusing on the collective versus the individual, or how do you wrestle with that tension of not living or not reaching that ideal in your individual life? Mm. That's a good question. And I definitely feel like you could talk for hours with a therapist about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But let's see, both you and me, because I think I, I, I do I do feel that sometimes. Um, well, classic nine would say I'm probably just repressing, classic nine patterns would say I'm probably just repressing the, <laughs> the negative emotions. But I do think there's something to be said for um, the experience of grace within community and that that sort of connection that that realizes um have you heard about this new movie a man called otto i have heard about that tom okay. is it tom, tom hanks? hanks yeah yeah um i just finished watching it before i got on here and uh it's first off i think he's an eight so if you love watching eights on on screen um definitely <laughs> worth checking out but also his his sort of redemption art i don't want to give too much away but um 
he realizes that he had gotten so stuck up on his own problems that he thought no one was thinking about him and what he was going through. He forgot that he had all these other people around him to take care of, which sounds like such an eight moving to health, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, um, moving to two. Yeah, sounds, yeah, yeah. so good. Um, but I, I think there's some truth there. Like uh, the, body, the body of Christ, to be a part of that, um, realizes that we no longer have to seek like taking care of ourselves for survival. Like it's no longer a survival game. Um, mm. Cause I know I do that all the time where I just get in my mindset of for the, when I was growing up, I, I kept to myself this, I, my, my realization of my sexuality. I thought I couldn't tell anyone. I thought I had to keep myself. I thought I had to figure it out. And that just kept spiraling spiraling into, you know, self-hatred and mm. a disconnection and um, a realization that, I didn't think I was deserving of life or community or fellowship based off what I believed about sexuality. And so when I had that realization that Christ comes to us when we're least deserving, um, both for my sexuality and for my sinfulness, not just in my sexuality, but in my greed and my pride and my wrath and everything else, um, that was like the realization of, oh, this is grace. This is him approaching me is what allows me to step out of how I'm feeling because it's not ideal. It's not perfect. But now I'm brought into a, a family, into a body that is ideal. And so even in my non-idealness, my non-perfected state, <laughs> I am a part of caring for others and communicating grace to them. Um, so maybe maybe that's the negative aspect of my nine mind that just tamps down my negative emotions. And maybe it's like the reality of grace that, okay, yes, I'm imperfect. I'm going to see that every day. He's making me more and more like him. But now I can live out this realization, like there's no distinction, no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free. Like I am called to show grace to these people. And that is going to reinforce a feeling of connection. It's going to show them a sense of belonging and acceptance, but also that that will be communicated back to me. I, I would think, I think I've experienced it enough to believe that that's true. So sure. Maybe um, a looking out rather than a looking in is part of that experience. Um definitely not always true for me because I definitely go through periods of ups and downs, but um, showing grace to others and then realizing that I'm part of that community is certainly one way to help me overcome this feeling that I'm not ideal because I've seen that I'm connected to um, a, a kingdom that is perfect, that is here and coming and being made each and every day for sure. Well, you're preaching a good word today, oh. at least. And all the many, all the many fours listening to who are so inward focused, I I feel you all listening right now, and and I hope you all feel convicted, like I feel convicted, <laughs> to, to reach out, look beyond your forlorn emotional mm. emotional whirlpool selves, and um, and yeah, realize the the bigger picture and the connections that we have in this body. I think that's so beautiful, just to to be reminded of and. I love Yab. If I can touch on that, this connection for yeah, one thing, please. Tom, for you, because I hate to call it all the fours. I have some four friends who are very close. Some in SoCal. <laughs> call us out. No, but this is what I have to tell my four friends all the time, especially when they're feeling down. I'm like, <laughs> the reason that you feel so disconnected from love and from being known is because you have such a great sense of how we ought to be loved, and you're so mm -hmm. good at showing that to other people. Like you guys have the the greatest in touchness with how we ought to be loved by the creator and by one another. So show that love to others, you know, continue to be curious. You know, that's, that's exactly the grace that other people need, even if we don't know it, just the fact that you need it and it causes you great turmoil all the time. <laughs> doesn't mean that you yeah. actually can't offer that grace to other people too. So, and you do it well, Tom, we feel it all the time, this community, all that you do for us, you definitely love us well. So. Aww. 
I love you guys. Yeah. I love everyone listening. It's been, Yab has been a big part of my growth, not to be all uh, self-serving or anything, but Yab, yeah, God has used Yab to, to show me just a piece of, just one sliver of beauty in my life when it's, when beauty is very hard to see in the mirror. So I just appreciate that affirmation. Thank you for that. Daniel, you know, this has been so great. I, this conversation went so fast and I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll share more um, of things that you are learning and, and gathering in this life. And, um, and I hope, you know, we're on a mission to get every Daniel on this show. Yes. <laughs> You're the third Daniel, I think, to, if I'm keeping track at home. Everyone's keeping track at home. I think he's the third Daniel to come on this show. So we're getting close. We're getting, mm-hmm. we're getting closer and closer to getting every Daniel. Well, it's been an honor to be here. Thanks for having me and for chatting for the last little bit. Absolutely. Looking forward to, yeah, just continuing to meet other people in our community. Thanks again for putting yourself out there and... And yeah, now you now you can come back mm. multiple times if you'd like. I would love that. All right, friends. Well, this has been another convo cast. Stay tuned for more conversations to come. So until we cast our next convo, see you later, friends. Bye, Daniel. Bye. Daniel. Hello, hello, hello friend. Hi, Tom. How's it going? So let's see. First time. So Daniel, is that what you want to be known as on this episode? Or Dan, or what's what's your preferred yeah. moniker? Yep. Daniel, Daniel is what okay, I go perfect. by. Yep. I was thinking to my in my head because we've had a Dan and we've had a Daniel. So if you wanted to complete the trifecta and go by Danny, you could go by Danny. <laughs> that happened once in college, um, where I, I said it doesn't matter. You can call me Dan, Daniel, Danny. And then like one class, that that group really of people Danny. called me Danny, and I was like, okay. That's I had no funny. idea that that was actually going to Because I went to college and someone asked me, so Tom or Thomas, but you never go by Tommy. And I was like, no, I've never been called Tommy. And then he like persistently called me Tommy throughout the entire freshman year of that college. It was lovely. That's great. He's like the That's only great. person that ever has done that.